0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. One of the things that I love is that I can be gone and we don't miss a beat. Like, this is not, this is, this is us going together. So Tony Priest and Michael Priest and um, they taught some really good and profound things. Like last week, we learned that Michael knows altogether too many lyrics from Justin Bieber. (laughs) It's uh, kind of alarming, actually, that he and James would sit and listen to that stuff together. Um, So I don't know where to go with that. One of the sweet things that happened over vacation is Micah and I had a talk. uh, And it went like this. Micah got a real serious look on his face, kind of cocked his head and said, Dad, do you want to have a talk? He's three. Like, yeah, yeah, Micah, I do. How was your day, Dad? It was good, Micah. And that was, okay, good. And that was the conversation. That was it. But it was like he's 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 mimicking family conversations, like, what happened today? What was really great? What what did you love? What was not good? And in his own little three-year-old way, he's saying, this is how we relate. We have talks. And we, we ask about each other's day, and I loved it. I loved it. Uh, we're jumping into a new series today that we're called Growing in Grace. And there's um, it's a series on spiritual disciplines, which may not, on the front end, seem like a series about grace. Disciplines, if you've ever heard of them, are it's almost like working out spiritually. It can be tough work and they can get a, a reputation as being like uh, duty and checklist and things you ought to be doing and should be doing, and then uh, we feel guilty because we're not doing the disciplines and, and all of that. And this series is intended to be a, a series of an invitation and challenge into grace, that we would be growing in the grace of God, the, the invitation that he extends to us, that we would, we would do life with him that we would understand who he is and who he's called us to be, would not be, would not snuff the life out of us, but would actually uh, bring more and greater life to us. So as we engage in the disciplines, as we start to talk about prayer and silence and solitude and giving and and all these different avenues of, uh, of the disciplines, we need to be reminded that these are not, These are not ways to earn God's favor. These are not ways to get bonus points in a relationship with Him. They are are meant as tools by which we could open ourselves up uh, to doing life with Him more. And as we get into it, uh, as we get into this series today, I want to talk about, uh, even before we get to, we're going to talk about prayer today even before we get to any of the disciplines, I want to talk about four ways that we approach God where I think we get it wrong, okay? Um, and, and I'll tell you, I, this is not, um, I'm not making this up. Uh, this book has been challenging the tar out of me. It's a book called With uh, by Sky Jathani, and it, it's probably a book that has challenged me uh, more than any book in the last few years, and I, would, I highly recommend it about halfway through. And I'm, um, it's kind of one of those where the author punches you and you say, thank you, may I have another. And he keeps on railing, not in a, not in a condemning way, but in, as a way to say, we're looking at God wrong. And, and as a result, our life ends up being less than what we thought this was going to be different than what we had hoped this would be. So I'm going to talk about four different postures of the way that we uh, approach God. And we'll work through all of them and then we'll we'll start to talk about a fifth that will help us get into the disciplines, okay? So the first the first approach is a life under God. We approach God as to say, I want to live my life under God. And all of these, all of these can have an appearance of good and true. Um, and we, we, want to, we want to get from them. Well, you'll find yourself in one or more of these. Life under God means I want to live my life obeying God. I want to live my life submitting to God. And I believe that when I live my life obeying God, then he'll bless me. That I obey, and then he blesses. And this sounds fine, except we actually can start turning our relationship into a contract. I obey, and then you bless. I'll do my part, God, and then you're bound to do yours. And what what happens here is we turn Christianity into morality. We turn Christianity into just following rules. It's true that we ought to obey God. That's a good posture for us to have. But to live strictly under this, we actually start to take control of our relationship with God, where we say, I, I don't want to just submit to you and, and live under you. I want to live under you in a way where now I can call you, call you to account. So I'm doing my part, God. Are you doing yours? Like professional football players... Uh, have dropped passes in the end zone and come back and said, God, I've given you my whole heart, and then you let that happen. What am I supposed to do with that? And that's, it's an example of life under God. We do our part. God, you better do yours. Except what happens when life is messy? Like what happens when it's not all pretty and your aunt has cancer? and the relationship is broken, you end up saying, God, I want nothing to do with you. I obeyed you, and you didn't do your part. And the irony of the life under God is we actually flip it. So we put ourselves in control, and we make God our puppet, so that if I obey, he's obligated to me. Our hearts shrivel. People end up leaving the church, because if this is all the church has to offer, there's no life here. And it's fair. It is a fair criticism. We haven't offered the life that God invites us to. And if it's, if it's just rules, I'm not interested. So That's life under God. It's ironic that we have built ourselves for so long as a nation under God, right? And a lot of the culture wars come from people who are living life uh, morally, and they're saying, we obey God, and if we would just obey God more, if we would obey him as a nation, then he would bless us. And there's this twist of irony in it that we're seeking to take control. We're seeking to be God ourselves and not letting him be God. That's life under God. A second one would be life over God, where we would almost flip to the other side and say, um, "You say I'm not sure that I need God. This swing happened around the time of the Enlightenment when people got really into science and started to figure out how the world was put together, how it worked, and they started to figure out natural laws like gravity, like anytime I throw an apple up in the air, it is going to come down. And we start to eliminate God from, uh, from our life because we no longer need him. It's, it's kind of been, um, the example would be like a watchmaker who hands you a watch and a manual. And now that you have these, you no longer need the watchmaker. So God sets things in motion. We figure out what he did, and now we can just focus on, uh, we can just focus on the science. We can just focus on the laws, and we'll be content. And God, we have no need for him because we're in control, and we know, and we're pretty smart. Atheism is built on this, of life over God. I have no need for God. But life over God shows up in pastors a lot. It shows up in the church a lot. And the way that it shows up, and it shows up in my life, it might show up in your life, is we start to read the Bible looking for laws. We start to read the Bible looking for principles. To say, God, would you show me how to live? I want to look at the Bible as an instruction manual for life and I'm going to read it, and I'm going to say, this is how I should live, and if I do it this way, it'll work. And we actually, this might be semantics a little bit, but we make the Bible our God, instead of God our God. And while the Bible is God's revelation of himself to us, and it's a gift that he's given to us, and we ought to love the Bible We ought to love the Bible because it brings us closer to God. Not because it gives us instructions on how to live. So then we can push God away. So Christians will say, I know how to follow God. But they have a teeny weeny prayer life. They don't actually spend much time with God. Because we know, and I'm guilty of this. And... Uh, pastors and church leaders will start to say, if we employ these biblical principles, then our church will grow. If I would employ this principle in my family's life, then our family will be healthier. Except we don't actually ask God for his presence. We don't actually ask God to be a part of it. We just want his principles. That's life over God. So life under God is, I obey, you bless. Are we clear on that? Life over God is, I... Find out your instructions for me, and then I'll do it, and it'll work. And then we get to a life from God. We talked about life under God, we talked about life over God, and then we talked about life from God, which means God is the great provider, and he gives great gifts, and he gives, and he gives, and he gives, and I'm so thankful for what he gives. Is there a piece of truth in that? Absolutely. God is a great giver. He's given us everything that we need. When I have a need, I go to him. When I have a need, I go to him and he gives. The problem though with this is that we live in a consumeristic world and we live in a narcissistic world. And you know who's in the center of my life in a narcissistic me? I am. So God exists to give me what i need. And when i approach when i approach god from a life from god standpoint he just becomes a big cosmic vending machine. God my prayer becomes i'd like one of those and one of those and she would do well with one of those. And we just keep asking god for stuff. Good stuff, probably, sometimes maybe not. But we want, we want what God has for us. The problem is that maybe we want what God has for us, maybe more than we want God. And we, we keep asking for more from God instead of more of God. And life with God fails Because I'm at the center. And then we switch and we get to the fourth one. And we talk about life for God. And you'll see this a lot in young people and uh, new people to the faith that they get really excited. and say, I want to live my life for God. I want to do incredible things for God. I want to obey and I want to follow his leading in my life. And I want to have a great purpose. And I want to do something for God and change the world. And people will actually go to med school and then say, um... Uh, I'm I'm about to become a doctor, but I'd really like to do something meaningful for God, so I'm going to become a missionary. And there's nothing wrong with becoming a missionary. God might call you to be a missionary. God might have you go to med school so that you could be a missionary. But it's wrong thinking if you say being a doctor is not meaningful or being anything else is not meaningful. i got to go be a pastor i got to go be a missionary. i got to do something that God would call me to. I'm gonna, if I'm really going to live my life for God, then I, I better do something super spiritual. And the other problem that happens is we start to look at our sin as a way that blocks us from God and blocks us from the living the life that he's called us to, which it can. And we start to say, if my identity is wrapped up in what I can do for God, And God looks at my sin, and he's just disgusted in me because I can't do anything for him. And so people who are really eager to do something for God often live in despair because they got so much junk. But how could they ever, how could they ever give God anything worthwhile? How could they ever do anything for God? You know, all of these fall short. And I, I have taught these things before. I have lived these myself. A life under God. We obey and he blesses. A life over God. Find out the principles, the laws that he's put into place and follow them and, and it will work. You start to say, God, I want to live life from you and I want, to, I want to seek you for my needs. And I want to live my life for you. Under, over from and for fall short and there's things to them that are good and important but none of them are worthy none of them can bear the weight of the center of the core and I love what this book has uh, written to say (laughs) you ought to approach God like a child (laughs) we planned that whole deal so Jesus, Jesus is talking with people, and he says, like, let the little kids come to me because they don't have anything to offer. In that day, kids were not valued. Kids were seen as uh, weights only. Like, Someday they'll be able to offer something. And Jesus says, your identity is not wrapped up in what you bring to the table. My love for you, says God, is not about what you bring. It's about what I offer. When we approach God primarily from one of these four, we don't find ourselves uh, overflowing with life. We find ourselves walking in shame and in guilt and in defeat. We walk around feeling bored. We walk around feeling obligated. We walk around focused on me and thinking only about me, and it's not right. So if these four approaches to God aren't the right approach, then what is? And I'm going to give you a quiz. I'm going to read two different verses, and I want you to find the common point in each of them, okay? The common point between the two. So uh, John 1.1 1, 1 starts by saying, talking about Jesus as the Word. It says, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, so that's that one. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then Mark 3.14 says, this is Jesus walking around here on earth. And it says, Mark 3.14 says, And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, that they might be with him. What's the connection point? With. With. Yeah. I think that changes everything. So if, we're, if under and over and from and for all fall short, it's because they're not intended to bear the weight of the core that is with. That says, from the beginning, Jesus existed with God in a community. The the Trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit has this community together, this relationship, this fellowship together from all time, from before time, that they experienced this withness. And when Jesus came, that's what he came to offer. (laughs) That we had been separated from God by our sin. And no matter how much we obey or how much we figure out the rules and play by the rules, and how much we uh, ask God to provide for us, and how much we try and do for God. It doesn't bridge the chasm that our sin created that says we are separated, and Jesus came to bring us back to life with God. Life with God. Jesus prayed. And I think... The first and primary reason that he prayed was because he wanted to keep in communion with the Father. He talks about receiving instruction from the Father and only saying what the Father would do. It talks about how he would get up very early while it was still dark and go off to a solitary place and pray so he could be with the Father. He spent whole nights in prayer with the Father. And then he teaches us to pray. When they're, they're like, hey, don't, don't use all these words and get all fancy and don't just keep repeating stuff and babbling. He says, when you pray, pray this way. And how does his prayer start? Our Father, which is a relational term, which is, doesn't take away from God's high grandness because the next phrase says, your name should be kept holy. We need to honor you. But it starts with our Dad. Abba, Daddy, Father, that you want to be with me, that I should want to be with you, receive that invitation. Jesus made with possible. He took our sin. He gave us life. He gave us an invitation to with. And he said, he said he'd always be with us. At the end, right before he left, he said, like, all authority has been given to me. I want you to go make disciples, and I want you to do these things, and I'll be with you. I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. And he said, and as, a, as another promise, I'm going to send my spirit, not just to be like near you, but to be in you, so that you could live life with God, with the spirit, with my spirit, Jesus says. I will never leave you. I will be with you. And it's, it's there that we get to say, Jesus, I want to, I want to change my prayers. I don't want to just ask for more from you. I want to ask for more witness. I want to ask for more of you. Would you give me more of yourself? And that is a picture that I think God is delighted. Delighted. It's a prayer he's delighted to answer. So... Uh, We pray around the dinner table in our family. And I'll ask one of our girls, nine and six, to pray. Um, Occasionally, I'll ask Micah to pray, who's three again. So these two contrasting pictures. From the beginning, this, Dad, do you want to have a talk? How was your day? The other night, I asked him to pray. And I said, Micah, do you want to pray? No, I'm not good at praying. Kid's three, and he already knows that that's how we respond to prayer. I'm not good at it. And I want to say, no, you, you and I just prayed together. Like, we had this talk. That's what prayer is. Prayer is not so much communication. Prayer is communion. Prayer is not so much what we say to God. It is that. And it's not so much, like, just what he says to us. It is that. But it's about us being together, me carving out a space that I could be with my Father that he could come and have a space to be with me. Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, like, hey, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. And a lot of people use this verse as like evangelism to say, God's knocking on the door to your heart. And if you'd open up, he'd come in and he'd save you from your sins. And I think it works, except that originally it was intended for people who had a relationship with Christ. People who had already opened up their door and were Christians and were living for God. And Jesus keeps knocking and he says, I want more. I want more of you. I want to be with you more. And he says, I'm knocking and when you open up, I'll come in. And what does he say? We'll eat a meal together. That's like the epitome of life with. We're going to share a meal. We're going to sit down. We're going to talk about the day. We can do life with. I love this quote where it says, coming to see prayer as communion and not just communication changes its place in our life. If God is truly the treasure, and if we have enough faith that through Christ we have been united with him, then prayer ceases to be a Christian's duty and becomes our joy because it's how we experience our treasure in the now. Prayer is not intended to be something that you're good at or you're bad at prayer is not intended to be something to say i i should do that more if i want to grow with god i should pray more prayer is intended to be a gift a relationship that says i can spend time with god like god gives me an invitation to spend time with him and this is really uncomfortable for me i'll admit this i was i was driving the other day and i turned off the radio and I turned off listening to podcasts or music or anything, and I said, I'm just going to pray, and and I'm I'm just going to try praying being prayers. I want to pray with prayers, not a list of what you want me to do for you, not a list of what I want you to do for me or requests or anything else. Can, Can I just be in your presence? And it's uncomfortable because I, I gotta do something. That's how we think, I think. But what if we released ourselves from that pressure and we recognize that God was not inviting us just to be with him? Then those prayers of requests take on different meaning because I'm with you and I can ask my dad for things. And I, and I have a different focus. And I'm, I'm with you, and I can ask for direction. I'm with you, and I can, I can seek new ways to obey you. And I want to I ask you to press into my life to say, where am I not obeying you? And could you speak to me about that? And I can, I can uh, pray, and I can see more of you that I could worship. But it's because I'm at the core, at the center, accepting an invitation to be with I wonder what it would do if we changed our primary prayer to be, God, would you make me aware of your presence? God, could I have more of you? If that was the core of how we prayed. So it it seems, um, I'm going to take a risk, and I'm going to ask you to take a risk. It seems like on a morning where we talk about being with God, And on a morning where we talk about prayer, something seems missing if we don't try to create a space where we could pray. And I know this gets challenging and some of you might also already be bugging out of your seat to say, oh, I'm done now, okay? But let me offer a challenge and an invitation that for the next 20 minutes to a half hour, we're going to pray. And I'm going to... Uh, I want to talk about something that has been very helpful to me. And then I'm going to give you an invitation either to pray privately right where you are or to get up and pray with others. And and I'm not going to tell you which one. I'm going to ask you to pay attention to where you think God might be pushing you, which is always an unfair deal, right? (laughs) Let's just do what God says. Uh, He's never going to make it easy on me. Okay? Accept his invitation, whether it's private or public. And we'll pray this way. Let me let me talk to you about four different um, directions to prayer. When we start to do life with God and we pray with God, um, I don't know if if you've heard of this, but there's an acronym uh, from, stemming from the word acts, A C T S, and it it's four different directions to prayer. And the first one is adoration. Adoration is a word that means worship. It's a it's a word that means I adore you god and there is a, a sequential nature to these that is not a hard and fast rule but i have found it to be helpful instead of just seeking god from the vending machine kind of prayers to center myself on him first and then me and then working through it so adoration adoration is adoring and worshiping god for who he is not even for what he's done we'll talk about thanksgiving but adoring God for who he is. And that means we have to know who he is. We have to take a look at his identity. What, what is the character of God? Who is he? And so uh, we'll put these screens back up when we go to pray. But these are, these are some things, and this is not in an all-inclusive list, an exhaustive list, that says this is what God is like. But God is eternal. Like God has always existed. He's beyond time. He's forever, which is mind-blowing in itself. God is good. God is grace-giving. He's holy. He's here. It's not like He's just off, distant somewhere that we can't relate with Him. He makes Himself uh, present here with us. God is unchangeable. He's not like the changing wind or waves. He's just and He's fair. He's loving. He's merciful. He's all-powerful. He's all-present. He's all-knowing. He's righteous. And God is in control. And when we pray, God, You are this and I just want to take a moment to recognize who you are and adore you. It starts our prayer in a really cool way because then I'm not praying just because of circumstances, I'm not praying just because there's a need. My need is God and He delivers who He is. If I want to do life with God, I get to know my Father. And this is what he's like. So when we, t- when we turn into a time of adoration prayer, a-, a simple prayer could be something like, Father, you are completely holy. And I'm just going to fall at your feet right now. You are different from me. You are different from us. You are high and holy and not tarnished by sin. And I love that about you. And I want to worship you in that. What this this directional prayer does is, like the lyric from the song, How He Loves, is all of a sudden I'm unaware of these afflictions. These afflictions get eclipsed by your glory. And I realize just how beautiful you are and and how great your affections are for me. That I get to press pause on the stuff of life. And I get, to, I get to just be with my dad. So we start with adoration. Adoring God for who he is. And then the C is we move into confession. Because it's as if, I, if when I look at who God is and how high and how wonderful and how beautiful is, and then I look at me, the, the right response should be like, God made me and he knit me together, but I, I fall short. I've, I've got stuff that is holding me back. I've got sin in my life, and I've got junk in my life. And, and confession isn't punishment. We get, confession gets a bad rap because we don't, we don't deal with it well. We don't receive it from somebody else well. Sometimes when people confess, we're like, oh, I wish you hadn't said that. Now I think of you differently. Where if we're doing life with God, we should expect mess to come along. And Jesus didn't say, if you fix your mess, then I'll come into your life. He said, I want to come into your life, and we'll work on the mess together. So when we confess, it's an invitation, and it's freedom-giving. It's a grace gift that we would say, these are sins in my life. When I look at me, I'm full of pride and selfishness, ungodliness, discontentment, unthankfulness, anger, judgmentalism. I have a lack of self-control. I'm impatient. I'm irritable. I have envy, jealousy. I don't use my tongue well. My words hurt people. And I'm all full of the world. I get wrapped up in the here and now and not in you. And there's more. I mean, I'm sure you can add to the list. But if you would take time to say, God, you are holy and I adore you. And me, like, I I have some stuff that I want to get off my chest. It can be freeing. It doesn't have to be condemning. We adore, we confess, and then we move into thanks and thanksgiving. All through the Bible, there are pictures of people giving thanks to God for what he has done. So if, a, if adoration is adoring God for who he is, thanksgiving is thanking him for what he's done. For me, and for us, and for the world. Psalm 136 is this kind of repeating refrain, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever, and it says to him Alone who does, God, you do great wonders. Your love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens. God, you, you made heaven. You made, you made this here and now. Your love endures. You spread out the earth upon the waters. You made the great lights. Like over and over and over in the psalm, it says like your love endures forever. And it's a way of thanking God. I will live my life in gratitude to God. Because he does Give me life. This is life from God, but not at the center. I'm not at the center like God exists to give me, but He does. God gives me great things. He has done wonderful things. And if we start to look at the ways that God has acted through time and in my life, we can build a list to thank Him for. We can thank Him for His love, His grace his forgiveness, his freedom in our life, his rescue and our redemption, that we could be adopted as his children, that we could be invited into community with him and with each other, that we would have life that he would give, that we'd have a relationship with him, that he invites us into joy and a peace and a purpose. All of these things come from God and we can be thankful that he has given us those things. And then the last one, is supplication, which is this fancy word that nobody uses, but it helps the acronym. (laughs) Supplication is to supply. I'm asking God. I'm making requests of God. So if I adore him for who he is, and if I confess the ways that I fall short, and if I thank him for what he's done, I think that puts us in a good position to now make some requests. Because now my request isn't going to be vain. Hopefully. It probably is, because I'm still in process. Okay, But I'm more likely to, to present requests to God that he would be like, yes, now you get it. Now this is about us together with each other. Paul encourages us to pray and to ask God. He says, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's asking God to do something for us or for others in our lives. Father, would you make me aware of your presence? Would you show me what you want to do in my life? Would you show me how I can help or how I can start to live life with you? What does that look like? And help me, help me to see the next step in life with you. You can pray that for others as well. Would you help him? do life with you? Would you open his eyes to who you are and how you invite? So I want to take a few minutes to pray together. And I want to now issue that invitation and that challenge to say, if you feel like God is pressing you into your seat and it's not just you holding on tight, um, then stay where you are. And if you feel like God is... kind of pulling you up out of your seat, maybe you you want to do that, maybe you're like, oh, please don't, but I know you are. Then what I would encourage you to do is to move around um, somewhere to the sides of the room or even kind of up front here. And when we go there, uh, when we go there, then I'll, I'll start to give directions and I'll put the slides back up on the screen that we would start and we could start by praying adoration. And honestly, you don't, Not everybody has to pray out loud. Like, it doesn't have to be like, okay, it's your turn. Okay, go. Okay, go. Okay, go. It's going with other people, and you're all in this together. So if one of you prays and one of you listens, it's good. This is an invitation for God to be with us. To say, we want to accept your invitation to be with you, God. It's not Micah at the table saying, I don't know how to pray good. Saying, God, let me... Let me accept your presence here. Let me pray. So I will step back, and I'll give you 30 seconds, uh, either to stay planted, which is fine if God is pressing you into your seat and holding you there to do some work privately, or if he's um, having you move, then now is the time.